Hello, and welcome to ABS in Mind, the podcast from the staff here at DebtWire ABS. We'll take you behind the curtains of the asset-backed securities markets and the loans that they help finance. I'm Al Yoon, and I'll be hosting today. Hello, and welcome to this segment of ABS in Mind. Uh, today is Thursday, February 11th, 2021. And today we're going to get a great overview of uh, securitized debt markets, something we can't talk about too much given the fluidity of the investment climate out there right now. Um, so for our guest today, we've got Dave Goodson, who helps oversee some $26 billion of securitized credit at Voya Investment Management. Hey, Dave. Hey, Al. And uh, also joining us today is Eric Homer from DebtWire ABS's Rocky Mountain Bureau. Hi, Eric. Hi, Al. How are you doing? Good, good, thanks. So today we'll just run through each of the main segments of the structured product markets. Uh, but Dave, just to start off, I'd like to ask you about your big picture thoughts on the markets right now. Mm -hmm. um, yields on most senior bonds are well under 1% now, or maybe even half that. And the banker I spoke with this week told me that he sees no hiccups in sight to the tightening. In fact, he even said some issuers are waiting to sell bonds because they just see their execution improving week after week. Now, now, of course, a banker might tell me that, but uh, it's still pretty interesting. And yeah. I'm just wondering what your, your overall take on that is. That's a good insight, actually. Um, not to, I know you want my big, big picture thoughts, and I'll definitely share them in a second, mm -hmm. but we have seen an absolute dearth of issuance to to start the year. That's not an entirely um, true statement across the the very rich fabric of securitized, but generally speaking, mm -hmm. it's been it's been low in terms of the amount of new issuance that we've seen, and some of that's a little difficult to explain. Frankly, you know, we've seen the economy start to start to roar back. Credit seems easy. To your point earlier about yields being so low and spread so tight, mm -hmm. so not seeing a significant rebound in sectors like RMBS. I mean, come on, where is the, where's the paper? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's insightful with the bankers share that maybe some folks are being patient and waiting to see where spreads settle in. Because when I start to transition to my big picture views, I think yeah, you, you're, what you started off with, that captures the general theme. Stuff mm -hmm. is tight. It's not an interesting market right now, generally speaking across the different risk markets, because again, things are so tight and so flat, your ability to take risk and truly get paid for it. You know, there's, it's my, my assessment is it's, it's limited to just a, a few small subsectors. Again, as rich as the securitization fabric is in terms of all the different risks that you can take, you know, the places we go to, to get paid, to take risk for our clients is, mm -hmm increasingly limited by the day. So that's, I think I could stop there and tell you that's that's really the thing that dominates, you know, a lot of our team discussions when we try and strategize about, are we are we truly harvesting the best opportunities in the market? It it comes down to valuation. Things are just so flat. Uh, every Everywhere you look, yield spreads, credit curves, if to not maybe throw too complex of a concept at you, um, that is one that Mm -hmm. The credit curve flatness is a dominant theme. So I'll stop there and see if you want to re react or. Sure. Credit curve flatness, because a lot of people are going down in credit, right? Looking for yield. And well, let's just start by going through the sectors, I guess. I mean, yeah. you know, Resi, for instance, residential credit, which uh, both Eric and I cover, 
you know, there uh, the credit curve there has has flattened, and uh, you know, when I talk to people about fundamentals, I mean, you know, you can reel off lots of positive fundamentals about uh, residential mortgages, performance through the pandemic, the housing market is doing just fine right now, if you know, if not better than fine. <laughs> um, but but again, to your point, uh, in terms of, uh, I mean, are you getting paid for the risk, even though the risk may be less in resi? So, I mean, how are you guys staying invested in residential credit right now? Yeah, great setup there again on your question. Um, I think you, you wove in a lot of the key themes there in that housing has been a star mm-hmm. in the economy. And uh, and that was not necessarily easy to find, just true fundamentally, where are the stars? Uh, if you looked at sectors that were doing well, oftentimes the underlying fundamentals weren't as supportive. It was more kind of a Fed-driven response, but housing I think was able to kind of stand on its own. Now, no doubt I would concede to you all that um, part of the story in housing was low rates, which is clearly a, in large part driven by the Fed. But overall, I think, you know, society spoke and housing became a star. And and so we entered into this year with Resi really well supported from a fundamental standpoint. Um, And our our portfolios reflect that out. We're, We're heavily allocated there from a risk standpoint. But with that being said, um, there's a couple things that I think take a little bit of the shine off the apple, as I say, in mm-hmm. that space, at least threaten it. And th- those are, I think, just at a high level as follows. We mentioned the first, one of the prerequisites, I think, to housing doing well, which is low rates. That promotes affordability, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And that's definitely been on, I think, top of mind for a lot of people as a risk in the broader markets is that could we start to see an upward drift of rates have feedback loops that are negative into markets and into the economy. And I think housing be one of those sectors that would be vulnerable to higher rates. Mm-hmm. So trying to protect against that makes us consider taking off a little bit of the risk that we've got on. The other one, which is a little bit more esoteric, I'll start high level if you wanted to dig in, happy to do it. Mm-hmm. And that is, we saw, relatively speaking, a large amount of borrowers, mortgage borrowers, take advantage of the forbearance flexibility that was offered and actually required to be offered by law from the CARES Act. Mm -hmm. And relatively speaking, a large amount of borrowers have continued to stay in those forbearance plans to the point where they're likely to exhaust what's allowed under the law, which is actually, it's kind of timely that we're having this call now, I think just on Wednesday or yes, no, Tuesday, excuse me, Tuesday. So two days ago from when we're recording this, Mm -hmm. they extended some of the forbearance potential that borrowers can seek protection afforded them by under the CARES Act. So um, that cohort of borrowers, I worry. I worry how that's going to play out. And I think that could cause in some particular transactions, you know, some cash flow disruption that's real. And that can impact your yield profile. So I think that's another thing that we're, we're a little concerned about as it relates to Resi. And I think you'll see us, or next time we have this call, we'll probably be a little bit lower, my guess would be. uh, Okay. Yeah. Now, can you be more precise in what, what we're talking about in residential credit? Like, what kind of uh, residential credit bonds are we talking about? Sure. Yeah. Um, one thing we like to do, no matter what the dimension, is be diversified. So, in uh, mm-hmm. what diversification means, and 
not agency RMBS is you're not just in the legacy trade or you're not just in CRT. Mm-hmm. You actually try and take advantage of some of the evolution that we've seen in the space in the post-crisis years, new sectors that have, have, have become scalable and I think attractive from a securitization perspective and from just a societal perspective. So things like non-QM, things like mm-hmm. the 2.0 version of Prime Jumbo, uh, RPL would be a sector that's uh, uh, of interest to us. And we so we attempt to diversify what we view to be the best opportunities across these different subsectors. Is that, does that help, Al? It, it yeah. is. Uh, but okay. when you're talking about the forbearance, uh, I mean, you know, which sector is more vulnerable, do you think? It's, it's a, the non-QM because uh, there are a lot of self-employed borrowers in, in those deals, perhaps? I think it's relevant there. Absolutely. One thing, though, that space does have going for it is not being in the non-agency sector, I think the ability for that servicer to be maybe a little entre- more, more entrepreneurial in how they handle the provision providing of forbearance, uh, mm-hmm. I think might in the end, for invest from investor point of view, uh, promote a better outcome overall. As a, in contrast, where I really see it as a transparent risk and and um, and one that I think the market could start to fear a little bit more would be uh, on the agency side. Mm-hmm. And then in particular, as a derivative of that, how that translates into performance on the credit risk transfer part of the market. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, there they have, they are, services are bound by law. And again, it's just so transparent how those borrowers are uh, treated and, and uh, you know, kind of afforded uh, different mm-hmm. options uh, as they progress through the mm-hmm. stages of the recovery. That's a place as well that I see as potentially a risk. Okay. Well, I mean, I've been watching the subordinate stuff of CRT, Titan, I mean, again, credit curve flattening. And so, you know, I know that investors, you know, portfolio managers like yourself, you know, are aware of this, but the trend is still tighter, tighter yet. It's as if people are not thinking there's going to be a credit event, you know, happening. And, you know, I mean, you look at the fundamentals and you can certainly make your case there. And so I think that's, guess what's what people are doing. And um, talking about uh, uh, newer sectors, uh, I wanted to let uh, Eric uh, chime in here on the SFR uh, sector. That's something that he's been drilling away at over the past uh, few weeks. Eric, why don't you jump in here? Sure. You know, Dave, as, as, you, as you mentioned, um, you know, resi credit, housing, strong all throughout with the exception of you know, that forbearance question and, and, and reporting that goes along with it. You know, one area of resi credit that seems to be kind of immune to that and, and in fact, has, you know, kind of proved its mettle uh, through the pandemic is SFR. Uh, actually, is right right a few minutes a few minutes ago, I got uh, guidance on the newest progress residential deal is a full 40 bips tighter than, uh, than their previous deal. So, yeah. you know, SFR continues to tighten, but it also, I mean, it's people are grabbing at it. Uh, you know, I've heard that ABS investors have been looking at SS, SFR as the ABS market kind of shrank, slowed down last year. You know, what are your thoughts about the sector? I mean, it, it really has proved itself. And, uh, you know, where is it uh, Where is it fitting into your strategy? Yeah, wow. Um, that is that sector, if you want to, you know, every market's got its kind of spectrum of things that have done well and not and not done so well. There's, there's always a spectrum. And within housing uh, is much of a uh, bright uh, part of the economy housing was, there still is a spectrum, and on the upper end of that spectrum, I got to say, SFR were big winners. Anybody who operated in that space, that's it has continued to evolve, continue to become more encompassing. I would say as as an option for 
people going down the, you know, household formation route or maybe pivoting to a different point in their lives of, you know, where they want to live. And SFR, I think it's been a big winner. So you're right to be on this, Eric. I applaud you for looking into it. Over the course of the the kind of post-pandemic world last year, we're we're tasked here with keeping all of our uh, colleagues at Voya, you know, in the loop on different things we see growing in the market. And I can't tell you how many times we were posting them on new ways people are getting involved in the space. People in my seat, people in who I view as peers in different money management shops, uh, going more directly into the SFR market to to take risk, not even in securitized form, uh, which is interesting, willing to give on liquidity and, and take some of that risk directly. We saw that in a number of examples. Uh, and then you've seen on the home builder side, them starting to get involved directly from a home building perspective to, to build single family rental stock into the housing market. I mean, just an a number of different ways that that space has evolved. And I think it's all to the good. If if you were an equity holder, just generically speaking, and then that business and the single family rental business, I think you did exceptionally well. Now, from a securitized perspective, it doesn't translate quite as neatly. The issuance, our ability to, to play in that from a debt holder perspective, the issuance side of things has been, I would characterize it as somewhat limited. I think it did have good solid issuance over the course of 2020, but in the scheme of an overall scalable trade, it's still somewhat limited. So it's hard for us to to really express it in a um, you know in a in a major way. And then you also just filter in the fact, hey, in securitized markets, you are effectively more of a in a debt holder position. So that upside that I'm talking about of the space evolving and growing, it's just not as it's not as uh, it's not as juicy <laughs> from our perspective. It's I think certainly your creditworthiness improves. And that fosters tighter spreads and the progress color you cited at the beginning there speaks to that. But as far as like making like an overwhelming expression in our portfolios, it, it, it's a little bit, it's not as easy, I guess I would say, Eric, but we do, we're right. big fans of it overall. Yeah, I, I, I've seen, a, I think I actually broke that Lennar News, uh, the home builder that has their own build yeah. direct vehicle. And, and since then, that's a you know, that's, that's gotten more and more common. Um, are, you know, is this kind of institutional, I guess, you know, this kind of institutional interest in SFR, you mentioned the equity side of things is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, are we still going to, you think we're still going to see the same kind of volume in SFR securitizations or, you know, is, is there going to be a, a, a bigger evolution in, uh, in the funding in the space? I, I think I think yes and yes. <laughs> I think we will see more. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll see more issuance in 2021. Uh, in terms of SFR, there's just there's more borrowing that needs to happen to 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 continue to facilitate the demand that seems to be out there societally societally speaking. Uh, on one hand, and then on the other hand, I do think they'll find other ways to finance. And as more people get involved, and you know, they may have more efficient ways to f- finance their projects. Uh, you'll see a, a broader application within the space. It's one thing. It's I, whenever I had this conversation, one thing I always I think surprises people is the institutional side of single family rentals is still very small. It's less than 5% of the overall single family rental market. You may be, you may, I bet you're aware of that, Eric. Yeah, it's actually 3% of actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, so I would tell you, there's a lot of room for that to change and for better, for worse, switch over more into an institutional approach to the business. Great. Thanks, Dave. Let me jump in there for a second, Dave, because you're, you know, I mean, SFR, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's business purpose lending. And so what do you think, Dave, about uh, the business purpose loans in 
RMBS, like, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. individual investor loans that that we're seeing in deals these days, both uh, for, you know, rental purposes and the fix and flip stuff. Yeah, it's. I think it's got a place, Al, in your portfolio. <laughs> I was mentioning, if you, if you, I think if you really want to play the opportunity set, you, you've got to be diversified in your approach mm-hmm. to it. It, it. And that is yet another way to, I think, diversify your, your exposures to residential mortgage credit. Um, and I think you do need to be careful in terms of who you partner with in that space. There's certainly business risk associated with the business nature of these loans that, you know, some people might, from an origination credit quality perspective, perhaps, you know, push the envelope more in this in this world where everything's so competitive. And I think that would be the one cautionary note I would highlight mm-hmm. is, you know, pick your partners that you invest with. View it as a partnership and and, and spend some time on that angle. Don't just buy the you know, the, the next piece of paper that happens to come out because maybe it does have a little bit more spread associated with it from the new issuer. That'd be the right. one piece that, that does give me a little caution. I mean, we did write about, uh, in, in terms of the fix and flip deals, there aren't that many out there, but we did write about, uh, I mean, one of the issuers, uh, Turak, had to uh, repurchase loans out of its deals um, because of uh, the rising delinquencies and uh, just, you know, because of the fantastic securitization markets, then they were able to, you know, great, get great term funding for an NPL deal, actually. Um so more power to them there. Great reporting too, by the way. I yeah. must pat you on the back there. Oh, thanks. So, I mean, again, but it's a, it's great, great for them. But, you know, it just mm-hmm. shows that there are, you know, everything is not perfect in these markets, you <laughs> know, it, as yeah. much as, you know, as hard as it is to poke holes in them right now. Right. There are definitely some, some warning signs. So uh, uh, speaking of perfection, uh, let's go someplace where there is not perfection, mm-hmm. and that's in the commercial real estate side and CMBS. Um, seems to me that that's the sector with uh, a lot more variability in the outcomes from this pandemic. And uh, I always uh, joke with our CMBS reporters uh, that <laughs> they actually have a, kind of a more interesting job right now um, for that reason. And so tell me just in general, I mean, how is Voya sort of navigating those waters? I mean, you know, you guys must, you know, must have had exposures to CMBS, you know, with, you know, retail hospitality, you know, uh, a year ago before stuff hit the fan, so to speak. (laughs) Yes. uh, Yeah, no doubt about it. That was, um, I would say that was, we have the complete footprint. We feature it uh, to our Mm -hmm. clients in in the securitization market. So we we naturally are going to have exposure to CMBS. It's a, that's another vibrant dynamic market that is Always interesting. It's so very idiosyncratic, as I'm sure your reporters mm-hmm. <laughs> appreciate it all too well who cover it. Um, and and in a market that is you know hit with an unprecedented event like that, you know we're literally they throw a monkey wrench into this massive engine called the U.S. economy and more broadly called the global economy. There's going to be fallout that's significant. It's going to hit dynamic parts of the economy like commercial real estate and and so yeah, our approach that features some of that was definitely challenged, but. Where what we have come to appreciate over the course of the year is that also promotes maybe more durable opportunity. So the the degree to which some of those pockets of spread premium have been able to uh, be preserved, that's that's where I think you can in today's market as challenging as we started the call. The big thematic thing is just how tight spreads are and flat yield curve profiles are. Mm-hmm. CMBS is one of those places where you can still add material value 
for your clients in a fixed income context and in more specifically in a securitized context. So, you know, we think that space is probably the most interesting right now. Um, mm-hmm. And another thing I would add, just, you know, taking that kind of just the whole pandemic experience we've all been through, CMBS markets do tend to as dynamic as it is when, when projects get into the trouble, they tend to take a little bit longer time to play out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can, we can see very quick resolutions uh, in, in some of the consumer subsectors, for example, and relatively quick resolutions on the RMBS side, maybe not as quick as we all prefer in some situations as investors, but mm-hmm. a little bit faster on the CMBS side. These resolutions can be measured in years, you know, not, not weeks or months, certainly. So I think it's the crystallization of losses that we have to be you know, very cognizant of, of course, you know, as some of these distress situations theoretically do turn into losses, that's something that's been very measured so far. And, and, and the, these lifelines that get thrown into the market in the form of fiscal support, monetary, accommodated monetary policy can actually help some of these borrowers get over to the other side. And mm-hmm. that's where we see a lot of interest in, in helping, you know, kind of calibrate to what's, uh, what, is, what are some of these properties that can make it through to the economy more fully reopening. I was going to ask you, I mean, are you, so are you playing the quote unquote recovery trade in CMBS in some way, you know, for instance, yeah. like, you know, hospitality stuff that, uh, that got slammed last year. I mean, is there, you know, you know, picking up value there because I mean, people, you know, will eventually sort of get back to their normal lives. I think we're convicted in that, that the, yeah, that's the, re- that's the reality ahead of us for the, the leisure and hospitality side of the economy. Yeah. I think that's a way to play it. Um, that's, I think you definitely there, there is probably, you know, you're taking more on the, on the risk side to get, to get to that return, uh, because there are, you know, generally speaking, hospitality tends to be a more volatile business with less well-capitalized, uh, operators. So, uh, it's just inherently going to be when you make that assessment, it's going to have more risk associated with it. So we, when we put that in the portfolio, that that's, you know, we're measured about how much risk we put in from that perspective. I think there's other risks that also remain interesting, but you don't have maybe the same inherent volatility. And I'd, I'd highlight multifamily as one. Mm-hmm. Alice placed to also play the re reflation trade, the reopening trade, and, mm-hmm. uh, and but in a perhaps a little bit more robust way. You're more ways home there. Can you tell us what kind of CMBS you're you're liking these days? I mean, are you are you looking at new issue stuff at all, or is it uh, mostly sort of like picking through what's in the secondary? Yeah, like what new issue? It's just it's oh, okay. So, yeah, <laughs> it's been so limited, Al. I mean, I think we're down year to date fifty percent year over year. Uh, we thought mm-hmm. you know there's a reasonable chance we'd see a pickup. This is we were highlighting the color from one of the bankers, you know, about issuers waiting to issue. I don't necessarily know that that's truly holds true in the case of CMBS, but it probably maybe that does play a slight part in how we've seen so little new issue. So it's been limited. Mm-hmm. I think where we've been able to express this more optimistic view on the reopening and and some of the more interesting opportunities in CMBS, it's it's really come in the secondary markets. Mm-hmm. There's some there's there still is some for whatever reason parties in the market. There's and we've seen a number of different motivations for selling in the last couple of months. Um, but they do happen to pop up from time to time, and, and that's where mm-hmm. I think we've been able to be effective. Mm-hmm. Not to belabor this uh, point too much, but uh, I mean, what do you think a couple of those motivations for selling are or were? The most interesting one, I, I bet you, mm-hmm. you, well, maybe you'd find interesting is back in, this goes back a few months now, so bear with me, but back in October, um, the NAIC 
got involved mm. from an insurance company point of view and, and it kind of muddied the water with uh, giving the market a preview of what the capital requirements were going to be uh, into 2021. And that's certain that that jarred loose some supply, and I mean meaningful supply from some of the insurance company holders who, who simply mm-hmm. weren't up for <laughs> higher capital requirements uh, for that part of their portfolio. That that and it, it, it seemed like it was going to be material. Al, I mean, that was I remember being disturbed on my Thanksgiving vacation, which I was mm-hmm. loath to be, to come away from to to uh, to figure out how to play it from an investing point of view. But that that was one motivation that that. That jolted loose some bonds, and and I think we still even today see, a, a, even though some of that got quelled, where the NASD came back and I think offered a, a maybe a bit more moderate approach to mm-hmm. increasing capital requirements this year. Uh, nonetheless, um, it, it capital requirements did increase for insurance company holders of CNBS for 2021, and I think there still are lingering opportunities that that remain out there that we've been able to take advantage of, right? And others and, have as well. And a good deal of the money you manage is insurance money, isn't it? That's right. So we, we're front and center on that dynamic. I think understand it very well. That's right. You got it, Al. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Eric, did you have anything to say about uh, the CMBS market before we move on here? Uh, you know, not so much about CMBS, but to the point of, uh, you know, this dearth of paper in the market, the, the consumer ABS market kind of throttled off last year. And, uh, you know, this, I think in the past three days, the ABS market's cleared about $7 billion dollars. Hmm. worth of supply. Uh, is this something that, you know, is this a backlog that has, uh, you know, people are jumping in for the for the for the good execution? I mean, do you see this as a continuing sort of trend throughout 2021? Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I hate to lead with this, Eric, but I hope so. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, hope is not a viable strategy, as that's a theme <laughs> of ours at Voya, um, but I certainly hope so. I, I, yeah, I look at this, uh, that 15G piece of uh, SEC reporting frequently and it's yeah it's thick right now with with deals I, I concur uh, and your good reporting as well highlighting all the supply that's come through in the last few days yeah we feel it and agree but I mean, we need it we, we want to see more of it uh, it gives us an opportunity to you know kind of replenish uh, duration that's run down and a over a year that that was down about a quarter I would cuff it roughly in terms of uh, new supply. So yeah. I, I, I do think there's some something to what you're saying about being, there being some pent-up supply out there that needs to come through. You know, I see parts of the economy that have rebounded. Credit's easy, we talked about. Generally speaking, it's, it's still a little tight, probably relative to where it was uh, pre-pandemic, but it has become more easy, certainly, and with spreads tighter, I would forecast that continuing to open up. And you know, maybe you'll see consumers get a little more aggressive in the way they consume and uh and saving is not the dominant theme as much anymore and that should enable more supply uh, over the course of the year and the 15g pipeline right now would suggest we might be seeing a front end of that okay well that's that's a great segue i wanted to just get you know your thoughts quickly on abs uh, i mean you know we were you know we do a lot of talking about rmbs cmbs but uh you know where in abs is voya sort of uh, mostly focused right now i mean what are your favorite sectors and where would you, what would you avoid the i think the dominant view that we're expressing now is that the consumers like in an unbelievably good shape i would not have forecasted 15% savings and accumulated excess savings and the numbers differ depending on how you calculate it but i mean we're Conservatively, I would say uh, consumers have amassed about a trillion and a half since the pandemic of of dry powder. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that is exceptional, and 
And then if you believe in this reopening trade, uh, you, you, you continue to predict more in the way of fiscal stimulus rather than less. You know, that all, I think, accrues, generally speaking, for the benefit of the consumer. And so that's, I think, just at the macro level, that's where you'll see our ABS portfolio. That's the dominant risk in there. And so specific, some specific subsectors, consumer loans is a more levered way to play it. Mm-hmm. Auto loans has generally run its course, I would tell you, Al, is things that, okay. you know, that's a great place where you've seen that it's, that, that's what may be the poster child, I would say, for this um, exuberance and in, in wanting to take credit risk has been in autos, seen double B subprime risk trade inside of, and in, in print new issue inside of 200 basis mm-hmm. points of compensation. I mean, that's through what we'd seen ever. <laughs> So it, that has run its course to some degree, but nonetheless, it's I think uh, you know the, the risk there looks very well mitigated, and not that that's a place we will play. I, I understand that level uh, to some degree. So consumer uh, loans, that that's I mean we're talking about unsecured consumer credit yeah. basically. That's um, a more lever way to play it, and we do. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty interesting because I remember a year ago, or, or well March. 15th to 30th, whatever. I mean, you know, that's one sector that certainly a lot of people were talking Ooh. was going to go to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, the, the theme throughout the rest of the year was like, oh, well, look and see how this is actually, you know, I mean, there are some delinquencies, but it's performing way better than anybody expected. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the big question there, well, is it because, uh, you know, these loans were... Uh, you know, so well underwritten that, uh, you know, that there's, you know, going to be less risk there? Or is it because the government stimulus is basically propping everybody up? But I mean, it sounds like overall big picture that uh, you guys are fairly sanguine on that sector, huh? I think so. Uh, so I would, the only disclaimer I would throw in there is I think it is important, similar like what I was saying on the resi side, on the fix and flip question you asked, mm-hmm. where you got to be cautious as who you partner with, you know, who, who are the, the guys who underwrite properly in your estimation, do a good job from a societal perspective, protecting those borrowers' ability to repay, taking that into consideration. And, you know, in their underwriting, I don't want it just to just be an algorithm that generates mm-hmm. the yeah, yes or no, I make the loan. I want it to be, I want them to have a credit file on a borrower and that's not necessarily the case for all the operators there. So I think picking your partners there is another disclaimer I would throw out. But overall, we like, yeah, we think they've operated well through here. And again, the consumer, just with all the benefits they've been able to accrue in this post-pandemic world, it, it warrants okay. some risk taking there. Yeah. Okay. That makes me think, I mean, I'm going to say something I know you'll like, and which is uh, this is uh, you know exactly the time where active management makes all the difference, <laughs> right? I do like to hear that, Al. Thank you. Uh, I know. I, I, I think that's. I, I chuckle as well. Uh, I think that insecuritized. You know, this is not necessarily a top of mind inherent market. that's inherently people are comfortable with. I mean, there's this structural dimension that needs to be overlaid with any risk you take there as well. That just doesn't exist in that same form in other risk markets. You know, so. Mm-hmm. I think active, we can we can truly add value in this market uh, as managers. I, I believe that passionately, and I know my team does, and I think the firm does as well. So you're right. I think this and then this dimension that you're harping on, not harping on. I'm, I'm harping on it more than you are, mm-hmm. but that you're raising about. Yep. You know, I'm, I'm saying you got to trust your issuers. That's a piece of it too. Certainly yep. reflects the value of active management. Okay. Dave, we're running low on time here, but uh, I wanted to uh, end this uh, this podcast with uh, a little bit of talking about the ESG investments, um, that that trend that's happening. Yeah. And I know yes. I know Voya is making progress on that front. And uh, 
I always have sort of trouble writing about this because, like, how do you quantify it? And mm. uh, you know, and it's like it's really hard to get managers to talk about, uh, you know, how much money they're deploying to this sector and that sector. Yeah. You know, tell me your, you know, your overall philosophy on this. Oh, you're, yeah, you're. I think you're, you're drilling into another theme that's. So I think clearly the challenge from a yields and spreads perspective is there. We've, we've established mm-hmm. that. But once you start to drill down some of the other dynamics that are driving money flows, ESG is one of them, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Now, the from a kind of evolution perspective and thinking back the history of, of that movement, it, it, I think it definitely has taken more root in like equity markets and corporate credit markets than it has in securitized. So... I would tell you to be patient in in reporting, you know, and then how and and and, and I, I understand your frustration. I see it myself when we get asked questions like, you know, what's the carbon emissions of your strategy? Mm-hmm. I'm nowhere close to getting an answer <laughs> to that. Yeah, Al. and we've got experts at Voya who know how to do that, mm-hmm. you know, and are pros at doing that in other markets. But securitized doesn't lend itself to it yet. But I would tell you to be patient. We see a, we see issuers making big leaps and and guys like us are trying our best to better hold them accountable to doing that so one of the major pieces it's one thing to have an ESG policy it's another thing to 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 to, to follow through on that and actually try and drive change by engaging with the different parties in your markets mm-hmm. and that's i think that's the next chapter we're writing right now as we speak is engaging with those issuers and and tracking uh, holding them accountable to what we're telling them we're asking for from an investing point of view so ultimately i think that stuff like this these dynamics like that we we're, we're trying to do ourselves and i think our peers are probably starting to do as well they're they're going to be they're going to get you in a place where your reporting becomes a little bit easier which is a okay. key driver of mine, I know, to okay. make you and Eric's jobs easier. <laughs> I mean, I had a discussion with Fannie Mae recently. You know, they've got these what they call green bonds. They moved that into the yep. rest of the sector. You you might have, you know, seen or heard of that. Uh yes. you know, based on, you know, energy star, you know, homes that are that are built by a couple of couple of builders, you know, mortgages on those that qualify for those uh you know those in the, those bonds in the agency sector, mm-hmm. and uh, you know Fannie really wants to make a big splash with this. I mean they've issued I think more than a hundred million, but uh, I always tell them I mean well you know Voya can do that in a single trade. You know I mean that's mm-hmm. like just such a drop in the bucket at this point. Yeah. But uh, I mean it does have to start somewhere, so uh, we'll all just keep an eye on it, I guess. Yeah, I think that's right. And I was going to say the exact thing, thing you just said. It has to start somewhere, and that's where mm-hmm. I think we're at. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're we're. I'm a, I, I applaud them for it. Bottom line, and I think the volume will come. They're going to those tighter spreads that they tend to trade with. That's I think if if nothing else does, that will incent them to to create more of it. Yeah, actually, I mean, I do hear that uh, there's actually you know a pay up for these uh, right. green bonds yeah. uh, in in the market. So um, yes. interesting. Anyway, all right. Well, um, really appreciate your time, uh, Dave and Eric. And uh, that's it for today's ABS in Mind. Have a good day, everyone. Thanks, Al. Thank you. Thanks for listening to ABS in Mind. If you're hungry for the skinny on asset-backed bonds, residential and commercial mortgage debt, consider DebtWire.com or just tune in here next time. Also, look to us on social media.